0: Welcome to the podcast of Life Church in Houston, Texas. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope that this message inspires your week, builds your faith, and ultimately brings you closer to Christ. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. We're talking today about uh, walking in rhythm, walking with Jesus, and and just before I get in, I want to uh, mention something that happened this week. We had the homegoing uh, celebration for an incredible man, Pastor Arlis Glass and uh, uh, Rich and uh, Pam are members of our League City campus. I, I think they're in Louisiana today for some uh, some um, the burial but um, Brother Glass was a great man. He and my father pastored just right close to each other for almost 40 years. Great friends, never any friction, never any problem. And Brother Artist Glass was always uh, so kind and and such a friend to me. He never saw me that he didn't hug me. Uh, His hugs are legendary. uh, You normally couldn't breathe for a few minutes after he got through hugging you. And uh, always a word of encouragement. And I just uh, want to give him honor, love, and appreciate uh, the memory of Brother Glass and, and, and Pastor Rich spoke at the uh, funeral service for his dad and I'm telling you he was amazing and, and I just want the Glass family to know that we're praying for them. Amen? All of our campuses. Let's remember the Glass family. Also the uh, triumphant church in Pasadena. They've lost their bishop. Let's ask the Lord to touch them and help them. Amen. Well, today we are talking about the rhythm of following Jesus. And, and if you've been around for a few months, you know that we started the year off talking about rhythm. Talking about just walking in a consistent manner, uh, repeatable uh, patterns of our life that uh, express the, the work of Christ that should be going on in our life. And, and today I wanted to kind of tag back into that. It really is... Uh, a continuation of my message from last Sunday where we're just talking about um, following Jesus and being who Jesus wants us to be. And, and, and I want to read a passage of scripture that really kind of started the whole discipleship movement of Jesus Christ. And it's Jesus walking through uh, this area by the Sea of Galilee and, and coming into contact with these two sets of brothers And he calls them to follow him. So let's read in the book of Matthew chapter 4, verses 19 through 22. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once. Everybody say at once. And followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John. So the first set of brothers was Peter and Andrew. Now... He's at James and John. They're sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called to them too. And immediately, they immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. So, as we see this passage of Scripture and the start of, of the Lord calling people to follow him, we have to ask ourselves, what does it really mean... To follow Jesus. I, I, I think everybody in all of our campuses today would probably uh, confess that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. But, but I, I want us to really look at some of the practical ways that should be expressed in our life. If we're really in the rhythm of following Jesus and walking with Jesus. And, and I think that this scripture, uh, this calling of these four ordinary fishermen it really kind of sets um, uh, the mark for us because we see that when these four ordinary fishermen were called, they immediately left all of their possessions, all of their job, their nets, their work, and they began to follow Jesus. And I think that we can see in this portion of Scripture that in a moment of commitment to following Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus, because they knew what He was calling them to, He wasn't just calling them to a couple of days. He was calling them to follow him and become a disciple. We we see that that they truly put Jesus first. Everything else became secondary. Everything else became uh, something that would move down on the list of priorities for them. And what a powerful example this is of how to follow Jesus. When we put everything else in second place in our life and... We surrender to his will. They didn't say, okay, well, where are you going? Well, that's not really where I want to go. They committed to following him. But we also see that not only is there a commitment to follow him, but Jesus is giving them a purpose for their life. He is telling them that if you'll follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And and I I want you to understand this. I I hope that you don't get lost on this. Jesus truly sees you and loves you. Loves you enough to die for you. But Jesus also looks through us. And sees those that we will touch. It's not that he's using us. He loves us for who we are. But from the very beginning. He is a generational God. That sees one person. And because he is the one that is from the end to the beginning, the first and the last, and he knows all things, he knows how we can be a blessing to others around us. And and so at the very beginning of the call of these disciples, he's giving them a purpose, and that purpose is they're going to be fishers of men. In other words, they're going to point people to Jesus. They're going to point people... To this message and if we truly love Christ and if we're followers of Jesus, then we are going to love others. Amen. We are going to love others. I'm going to give you a chance to respond to that just a little bit. We are going to love others and help others find a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to take today to look at three practical points and practical actions on how we can Really develop the rhythm of following Jesus. And the first one is so simple. It's actually one of our life church values. And that is to love God and love people. Everybody say that with me. Love God and love people. Uh, When Jesus was teaching, there was a time in Matthew chapter 22. When this is the lesson that he taught. Someone asked the question, teacher, which is the most Important commandment of the law of Moses this is matthew chapter twenty two and thirty six in verse thirty seven Jesus re- replies, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and I think that is something that everybody can say that's what I do and and, and truly, if it's an internal thing, then we can claim it even though it may not be something that we're really practicing but the second commandment, which is also uh, like, uh, as important as the first one, Jesus goes on to say, "This is the first and greatest commandment. The secret the second is equally important. love your neighbor as yourself. This, this is where the evidence of that fulfillment of the, the first commandment comes in. If I really love the Lord with all of my heart, soul, mind and strength, then I am going to love my neighbor." And, and love my neighbor as myself. The, the, then Jesus said in verse 40, the entire law, all of the Bible, all of the Old Testament, all of the commandments, all of the rituals, all of the temple uh, sacrifices, all of it uh, are based on these two commandments, which Jesus was the fulfillment of all of those things. You see, this is what I have found in life. By going to Bible college, I actually went to two Bible colleges. I went to Texas Bible College and went to Jackson College of Ministry and learned a lot of things at, at both places. I, I preferred Jackson College of Ministry because that's where I found Nancy. Thank you, Jesus. But I, I learned through going through Bible college and then working in churches and then pastoring churches and and now pastored for over 30 years, I I've learned that it is possible to to acquire a lot of Bible knowledge and yet not have any fruit in your life. I, I've seen people that, that could quote Scripture all day long, but but they were incapable of producing fruit. They were incapable of showing love to other people. As a matter of fact, this is what I have found, and I read it in the Scripture and I see it in practice, is that when people are concentrating only on Bible knowledge, it only... Uh, Bible knowledge without love and showing love it produces self-righteousness. That's what Jesus dealt with when he was talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees uh, over and over again is their knowledge of the word but there was no compassion and love for the people around them. Uh, so, So the entire Bible can be summed up with these two commandments love God and love others. Love others. And And when Jesus said this, he wasn't just giving them something that was intangible. He actually was practicing the act of loving others. If you read the Gospels, this is what you're going to see over and over again. Jesus loving people who nobody else cared about. Jesus loving people who society didn't think deserve love. Jesus reaching for people That nobody else was reaching for. And he lived this life out before his disciples. Until he gets to the upper room. The final night that he is going to spend with them before the crucifixion. And he tells them in the book of John chapter 13. Verse 34 through 35. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. I want you to think about what was going on through their mind. All of the things that they had faced. And all of the things that they've gone through. And now... There's a new commandment. And this is what the new commandment was. Love each other. Now that in itself was not a new commandment. As a matter of fact. If you go all the way back to the book of Leviticus. You'll find that God commanded the children of Israel. To love each other. To love your neighbors. But, but the commandment doesn't end there. It's not just love each other. Jesus continues that commandment. With this phrase, just as I have loved you, you should love each other. In other words, this, this takes it to a new level, guys. You've seen the compassion that I've had for people. You've seen the love that I have shown you. And, and this is how you should love each other. Your love for one another, verse 35, will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So the proof of discipleship is not a religious experience. It's not a knowledge of the word of God. The proof of discipleship to the world around us is the fact that we truly love each other in a practical way that brings help to other people. Amen. Now, when when Jesus said this, you, you have to understand he said it in a way that that is a commandment. It, it, it's... it's It's acknowledging that Jesus is the master of my life. How many of you count Jesus as the Lord of your life? Let me see your hands. If you count him as the Lord of your life, then this is a commandment that we as followers, as as people that are surrendered to Christ, we must follow it. It's not not a new suggestion. It's not a new idea or a new possibility, but it's a new commandment. a, A new commandment I give you. And if you take time to read that passage, and I don't have time today to unpack this last supper meal, but we can really see the pattern of the love of Jesus. First of all, at the beginning of that chapter, they come into this upper room and Jesus watches their feet. He is the most powerful man, God manifests in the flesh that has ever been on the face of the earth. He's been given all authority. And and, and at this moment when he is the most powerful, the most important person, he washes their feet. It's such a practical point. It's such a a practical moment because they've been walking through the streets of Jerusalem. Their their feet are dusty. There's normally a servant or or someone that is uh, uh, appointed to do this. But it's Jesus that does it. And so when we talk about loving like Jesus loved, it means I don't have a rank that I consider myself above anyone. I don't have a privilege where I think that I'm better than anyone. And Jesus, when he says love each other like I have loved you, in their mind is this picture of him being a servant and him talking about how they should serve one another. One of the great... uh, actions that a disciple can have is simply the action of helping other people just the practical everyday what can I do to help someone and it's so contrary to our culture it's so contrary to the way that we many times think our world revolves around me (laughs) it revolves around us I mean uh, everything that we do it, it, most of the time is to please us and to help us and and this is putting aside all of that and and it's serving I, I so appreciate our serve team. I don't know if Jonathan McClure is here today. I don't see him, but maybe he's at the Houston campus. I so appreciate the serve team that has been serving at Cabo St Lucas apartments there on forty five What an incredible just serving people, and I would encourage you if. If you're needing to get into serving and, and learning how to serve, get, get with one of your campus pastors and find out how to be a part of that. It, it's just a beautiful thing to serve others. And 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 the other thing that Jesus is really teaching them here through the washing of the feet, and then this commandment is that when we love like Jesus, we do practical deeds of helpfulness. Now, I have actually heard people condemn. People that are helping people, feed people and clothe people and rescue people. I've actually heard people say, no, we're here to preach the gospel, praise God. And you shouldn't be doing all of that, that that social gospel or the social religion. And and, and I just say, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I see what Jesus is doing here. And one of the great things of the church throughout the ages, one of the great reasons that the church has grown And become uh, uh, the the force that it is in the world is because the church has had a passion for helping people that need help. And this is what happens. And this is why Jesus wants us to act like this. This is why we should love God and love others. Because when people see you, this this is the whole thing. They should see the attributes of Jesus Christ in you. They should see that you are also Christ-like, because we're no longer who we used to do, who we used to be. We are, we are changed people, and through this change, we take on the nature of Jesus Christ. Now, I know that we measure maturity in certain ways when we're talking about our kids, and you know, there's a level of maturity that they get when when they go through puberty. There's a level level of maturity that they get when they graduate high school a level of uh, maturity when they get their own job when they move out when they get married and 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 you know we have uh, that gauge Uh, ultimately we all have moments of immaturity right we all have those moments but we're we're trying to be mature serious uh people that are living a life that is productive Uh, but but when we measure christian maturity I think the fullness of Christian maturity is when we stop thinking like our old self and start thinking through the mind of Christ. That that is a moment, a switch in our spiritual life that brings us to a place of real spiritual maturity. Listen to this scripture in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 20 through 24. It says. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Now, again, I don't have time to unpack Ephesians chapter 4. But it's in this passage that Paul is talking about spiritual weaknesses, fleshly desires, lust and greed and bitterness. And he says, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. When we started studying Christ and following Christ, we... We didn't learn these immature things from Him. We didn't learn the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, or, 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 the, or the lust of the eye from Him. That's something that was in our fallen nature. Verse 21 says this, Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from Him, throw off your old sinful nature. Throw it off. Don't let it be a part of your life anymore. And your former way of life. Which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, this is what we should be doing. Verse number 23. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. And we put on the new nature. Created to be like God. Truly righteous and holy. It's talking about a a change that we notice but it's also a change that people around us notice. If, if I'm dressed a certain way and I go off the stage here and I come back on with a new shirt, you're going to notice there's a change. And that's the analogy that Paul is using here. That if people see us in our old nature when we have put on Christ, they should see that there is a great change in our life. And, and what the Ephesians learned about Christ... Was not only learning about him. But learning him to the place that they could put on this new creation. Paul talks about it more in the book of Romans. I'll talk about that in just a moment. But but the first thing that we want to do. If we're going to really be in rhythm of following Jesus. We're really going to be in rhythm of being a disciple. We have to love God with everything that we have. But we have to love others, and it should be a practical expression of that love. Amen. I, I want to say this, and again, sometimes I say things that step on people's feet. It's not something that I mean to do. It's something that is needed to be done. Being a person that helps others is more than just giving offerings or giving to needs. There's a lot of people that give to a need that is close to my heart. I'm his home. And I'm I'm appreciate that. I hope you'll continue to give. But the truth is there has to be a physical expression. And I would encourage everyone, I said it last week, find a place to serve. Listen, we need people to serve at Life Church in all of our areas. Our 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 children's ministry. We we need people that will teach, that will give a week or two weeks out of the month. We we need musicians. We need worship leaders, we need um, technical people. We need we need people. But you know what? Beyond life church, there's hospitals, there's orphanages, there's women's centers, there's there's all kind of places that you can serve. Uh, Langdon Cassidy and, and Jessica, they they serve the homeless. You could you could serve with them. There's so many places. So the first thing is to love God and love others. The, the second thing and and this may make you a little uncomfortable But truly, a practical expression of discipleship is that we teach others. Everybody say, teach others. I know. I know you right now. You're saying, well, I don't know that I'm qualified to be a teacher. And I would just say this. If you know a story about the life of Jesus and can express that story and can show how much God loves someone. If you have something that has happened in your life and that God has done something in your life to change you, then you are qualified just to share the good news of what Christ has done in your life. In Matthew chapter 28, this is after the resurrection, Jesus comes and said to his disciples, verse 18, I have been given all authority in heaven and in earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching these new disciples to obey all the commandments I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, Jesus gave a lot of commandments. Many of his commandments were a repeat of what we learn in the Old Testament, but with the view and through the lens of Jesus Christ. But I, I want to just talk about three of his Commandments that we can actually practically teach and talk to other people about. The first one is something that Jesus started preaching from the very beginning of his ministry. What is the first thing that we hear Jesus saying in his ministry is repent. Everybody say repent. And the thing that I love about Jesus calling people to repentance is that he was never condemning He was never screaming repentance. I know that all of us in our mind, we have the picture of the guy standing on the street corner on a box yelling, Repent or you're going to go to hell. That was not Jesus. He simply saw people and told them about their shortcomings in their life and encouraged them to turn their way. Now, now we have preached many times about walking in a direction, a worldly direction, and stopping and the repent is the turn away from that. And, and it's a very good visual um, demonstration that I give. A visual experience, uh, uh, example. But but one of the things where it falls short is that the, the turn is not just a physical turn. It, it's a heart turn. It, it's teaching people how to truly love God and turn away from the things that may have been, not may have been, that have been harmful to their life and to their relationship with God. This is what David said after he had been exposed with the sin of adultery with Bathsheba and also the death of Uriah and his friends. He wrote this incredible prayer, this psalm that has become the the psalm or prayer of repentance. And in verse 51, he says, uh, in chapter 51, and verse 17, he says this, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. It's hard to have lead somebody to a broken heart, a contrite heart, by hitting them over the head with the word repentance. It is a simple talking to them about a new way of living life. About a new way of walking in life. And and that's one thing that we can teach anybody. Anybody that we talk to. When we get in conversations with them. And we start asking them questions about how is your walk with God. Or where are you stuck in your journey of discipleship. A lot of times what will come up are these issues in their life of sin. These issues of their life of, of avoidance of Christ. And that's what we can talk about. Repentance. Another thing that Jesus commanded, everybody said commanded, he commanded to be baptized. I think that's one thing that we can talk about to people. Have you been baptized? You need to be baptized because it is a commandment of Jesus Christ. I could go through the scriptures. I just read one Matthew 28 and 19. I could talk about Acts chapter 2. I could talk about Acts chapter 6. I could talk about Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19. All of those reinforce what Jesus taught about discipleship. I do want to talk about one scripture that is found in the book of Psalms chapter 6. Where Paul is writing to a church that he's never visited. Most of the letters of Paul. As a matter of fact all of the other letters of Paul. Were written to churches that he had visited preached in. Where he actually had been instrumental in giving birth to the church there. But when he writes to the church in Rome, he's never been there. As a matter of fact, if you look at Romans chapter 1, he is expressing the desire, I hope to see you soon. I'm planning on coming. He eventually arrived. I don't think it was the way he planned to get there, but he eventually got there. But as he writes this incredible book of of, of doctrine, of, of following Jesus, he He writes in chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And I I really don't have time to unpack that either. But if you want to know what the context of that is, there was a lot of people that were going into sin and staying in sin because they said the grace of God covers it. And and he says in verse number 2, Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Now, Now, this is a great passage of scripture that talks about baptism. I'd like to point out something that you may have missed As you've read that and that is that as Paul is writing to a church that he's never been to, he assumes without question or explanation that all of the believers in Rome knew what baptism was because they had been baptized. It was just such an integral part of that first church that people didn't even question it when they became followers of Jesus They were baptized. Now, I don't know if anybody is listening to me today in any of our campuses that you haven't taken that step of baptism. I just want you to know that you are avoiding a commandment of Jesus and you should take that step. Pastor Tito mentioned it here in Friendswood and and I'm sure your campus pastor talked about it. But next Sunday is a baptism Sunday and you should plan to be baptized because that's what Believers do. And this is something that we can teach to people around us. That that is a step of discipleship. The third thing that we look at it as commandments is just to pray for the harvest. Matthew chapter 9, 36 through 38. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. We're called to teach others. Let's start letting that be a part of our life. We're going to love God and love others. And then we're going to teach people. We're going to teach people that there is a life that is superior to the life of sin. We're going to teach others that, that they can take on Christ by being baptized And we're just going to continue to pray that God will continue to send workers into the field. My third and final point here today is not only do I love God and love people, not only do I teach others or teach people, but I also grow with people. Everybody say grow with people. So I think one of the greatest things, as a matter of fact, maybe one of the most important things for you to consider when you are talking about Discipleship is being open to grow and learn in your own discipleship journey. I've been pastoring for 30 years. I've lived for God all of my life with a few months of craziness. Uh, But but the truth is, I'm still on my discipleship journey. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm still learning things about Jesus Christ. I'm still learning about things that he wants in my life and wants me to do and wants me to accomplish. And and I think that it's important that we learn with others. I'm not discounting personal devotion. And if you don't have a personal devotion time, then it's very important for you to develop that rhythm of just spending time with Jesus every day. But there is something very powerful about us studying together. That, that Jesus called 12 disciples. He taught them together. They were learning together. And there's a reason that he did that. That is effective growth for a group. And they're reaching the same conclusions and they're going the same way. And that's why life church is so, uh, we're so we, we stress the importance of being a part of a life group. I know that many of you to this day have still not joined a life group. I, I'm telling you that this is something that will help you grow. Just this past weekend, we had our Freedom Conference, and it was amazing. Our League City campus, and and, and, an amazing conference, and and there are several things that were just really amazing about it. First of all, so many people that were serving in the Freedom Conference that just went through the Freedom Conference a couple of years ago, and to watch them serve and to pray and to help, it was just, I I just really, it, it blessed me. One of the ladies brought a group together, and one of the men in the group didn't believe in God, an atheist. And, and, and in the Freedom Conference, he had a very intense experience with God and left as a, a follower of Jesus Christ and great things that had happened in his life. I, I was talking to Sunken back here uh, before the service, and he was telling me how, um, I asked him, I said, well, what do testimony do you have about, about the Freedom Conference? He said, I got delivered of things I didn't even know I need delivered from. And that's where I was at. Isn't that awesome how God does things and, and it's a time of growing together. I, I, I encourage you, if you've not been a part of a life group, next semester when it starts, join a freedom group and go through that. And I know that the Lord will help you. I know that the Lord will help you. I, I think it's important to grow with others. Listen to this scripture in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Talking about the, the ministry that God has given the New Testament church. He said their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Somehow, in the society that we're a party of, the church feels like that it's the ministry's responsibility to do the work of the church and to build up the church. But truthfully, the ministry was given in the New Testament so that the body of Christ would do the work of the church. It was never intended to be a spectator sport or experience. It was always intended for you to participate in. For you to grow. Verse 13 says, This will continue until we all come to such unity and faith and knowledge of God's Son. That we will be mature in the Lord. Measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then will we... Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about with every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Listen to verse 15. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. Growing in every way more and more like Christ, which is the head of the body of the church. And when we talk about growing with others, verse 16 really resonates with what I'm teaching and preaching here today. Because in that passage of Scripture, Paul writes, he, talking about Christ, makes the whole body fit together perfectly. God brings us together in these different churches, and these different places around the world where the body of Christ meets. It is God that is orchestrating that. He's bringing the body fit together perfectly As each part does does its own special work. So you may have a gift that needs to be released into this community that, that we haven't experienced yet. It won't happen until you become a part of us. It won't happen until you participate. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. Growing with others. My ministry, my help, my input, my talent, my gift in action actually helps other people around me grow. And the very last phrase in that passage of Scripture is so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Oh God, let that be in life, church. Let that be in life, church. It, it, it has to be. And, and the only, re, only way that that is ever going to be a reality, listen to me as I get to the close of my message, the only way that's ever going to be a reality is if we are intentional about growing with others. It's it's especially important for the Houston campus and the Friendswood campus. And, you know, um, we we've found another home for the Houston campus and And I believe that the next step is that God is going to provide a permanent home for the Friendswood campus. Everybody said amen. Amen. Jesus help us. But because right now those are temporary campuses and we don't have use of the building, there's not a place that we can rally around like there is in League City, we have to be very intentional about meeting with one another. I was so impressed a couple of weeks ago when Elder Elvin... Velasquez passed away. Elvin Jr. I, I, I'm not sure if that's how he calls himself. But Elvin that we know and love. That plays the drums. And is married to Chrissy. He sent me a text message. And, and part of that was showing a picture. Of his mother's home. Just a couple of days after. His father had passed away. And and, and the, the room was full. And it was full of the Houston campus life group that he had been a part of. They had driven out to Rocheron where he lived quite a distance and they had taken a meal, they had, they had gone, they had helped each other. They're, they're growing together, they're growing with others. I, I'm thankful for that. I, I think in the Houston campus there's so many great uh, life groups that go on. I, I appreciate Alicia Daig for her teaching the prayer force curriculum, and I can see it in operation when I'm there, the prayer team that is praying for others. I I was at the League City campus just a couple of days ago, and I ran into one of my good friends, Rocky Jones, and he was telling me about how he and Pam have started opening their home to some of the younger couples there at the League City campus to come to their home and, and join them for dinner and God conversations and and again, I, I was just blown away because that's what happens when we grow together and we're intentional about it. That I can see uh, Marty McKnight also teaches the prayer force there at that campus and what an incredible blessing it is. Right here at Friendswood, I, I, I see uh, Michaela Walters and her leading the young women and what a, what a great job she does. She, she's all in. I, I, I saw Israel come in just a few minutes. He's leading the Young Men Sports Life Group. Thank God for Israel, the new student coordinator here at this campus. I, I saw Rhonda Gonzalez leading worship, and, and she's one that uh, leads the Women of Life in Friendswood. And I, I'm thankful for that. You know, it's intentionality. It's saying, I'm going to be a part of something and I'm not just going to be a part of it for fellowship. That's a great part of it. But I want to grow. Does anybody want to grow? Let me just see your hand if you want to grow. I want to grow. I want to become more Christ-like. And I know we're ending our semester. Uh, most of the groups have already ended. But but there is a, a discipleship group for men that goes year-round. There's a discipleship group for women that go year-round. And, and so uh, all of us have a place that we can be involved. Robin Thompson is leading the discipleship for our women, Mark Savelle, for our men. And, and this is what happens when we start loving God and loving people. This is what happens when we start teaching people. This is what happens when we start growing with people. We're taking Jesus seriously. We're, we're taking this change in our life Seriously and through the years i have seen people come to the altar and very seriously approach their relationship with jesus christ and that that is that is something that we want to encourage but we also want you to take that next step and take jesus seriously with your church family can we grow together can life church become the place that God wants it to be. We want Life Church to be a place where God forms individuals into the body of Christ. Where, where God takes us and makes us one and gives us all of these gifts. And, 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 and parents, I think it's important for you to teach your kids the importance of church. And the importance of attendance. Don't let it become second place. Don't let it become something that is optional. Church should not be optional. I don't know that there's many parents, there may be some, but I know my parents didn't act this way. That said, son, how do you feel about school? Do you, do you want to go or not? No, no, my, my mother, though she may have to come into the room two or three times, was... Get up, it's time for school. My dad would come in. It was only a one-time visit. I knew better than to say five more minutes. You know, it's like, I'm up. How, how How is it that church became a second, a third, or a fourth option for people? It's important for us because this is where God teaches us. This is where God teaches us. Could, will you stand at all of the campuses and... I'm not quite through, but what I'd like at this time is for our elders to just pass out the communion. I know normally we have you come down and collect it, but today I'd like for you to just stay in your seat. And I'd like for the uh, elders to pass that out through the congregation. And and while they're doing that, I um, I want to tell you about some of the things that I learned in church. Now... You know, I assume you know, that my mom and dad pastored Life Church. Back then it was called Life Tabernacle. For all of my life. They came to Houston, Texas to pastor this church in 1957. I was born in 1962. And I was born in a hospital. (laughs) Then I went home. Our home was on Mercury Road right off of Interstate 10 on the east side. But the next place that they took me was to church. And from that day to this day, I've gone to church. Again, it wasn't an option for me to go to church. Just like school, Sunday we went to church. We loved church. I was a church baby. And I learned some things there that I could not learn anywhere else. And one of the first things that I learned is I learned how to forgive people. I I learned that Christ forgave me. And if He forgave me, then how important it was for me to forgive other people. How many of you know that that's important? Jesus said it. It's important for us to forgive He actually, one of the commandments of Jesus is when you're down praying and you see that there's an issue, stop praying. I mean, this is where Jesus gives us permission or really commands us to stop praying and make things right because He wants us to have the heart of forgiveness. He taught parables about it, about how if you don't forgive, then perhaps you're endangering the forgiveness that you have received from Christ if you're not willing to forgive others. That's an important lesson to learn. In a world that is full of bitterness and hatred and division, amen? How important it is for your kids to learn to forgive. How important it is for you to learn to forgive. You know what else I learned at church? I learned how to be spiritually social <laughs> because the world is big on being social. Doug, I want one of those. Thank you. The church is big on being social. But but guess what? A lot of the places where they teach you how to be social is not a healthy situation. But church really teaches us how to be spiritually social, how we can walk together. I, I learned how to walk in faith. I, I learned how to walk in faith in my good times and in my bad times. I walked to learn I, I learned how to walk in faith through The moments of life and the moments of death. I I learned how to walk through faith by coming to church. I heard messages preached on how to be a perseverer. How to keep going. How when you fell down, get back up. And that Christ would forgive you. And that you could walk in front of Him without any shame. I I learned how to walk in faith. I, I learned how to worship Genuinely worship. Authentic worship. I, I, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, uh, it, it wasn't a show. It wasn't a. Uh, it wasn't something that was a put on. I, I learned how to worship and, and And while I may have been young. And may have uh, just copied the people around me. And clapped when everybody else clapped. And lifted my hands. And learned how to re- read a song book. Which is something that you don't have to worry about. There was a Sunday. That when I lifted my hands and started worshiping. It wasn't just to fit in. And it wasn't just to satisfy what everybody else thought I should do. It was something very authentic in me that worshiped. Because I had heard so much about Jesus. What a a gift I received at church. Just learning how to worship our master. It was at church I, I learned how to serve. When I was just about 11 or 12 years old, I started working on a bus. I, in the Houston campus, Jackie and Jennifer are there. We, we worked together. Every Saturday, we would go knock on doors and invite children to church. And every Sunday morning, I would get up early, go to the church. We used to have a lady in our church named Nana Brandenburg. She was an amazing lady. And, and she would go into the church kitchen every Sunday morning and fix breakfast for everybody early. Pancakes! Oh my goodness! Cairo syrup! Thank you, God. <laughs> and then we'd go on, get on the bus, and we'd go to these different neighborhoods around the city, and we'd pick up children, and take them to church, take care of them, take them. Home. I, I learned to serve at a early age. It, it's important. It's important for us to learn these things. It's important for us to grow together. That's a major part of my growth is knowing how to serve. And, and at church, I, I learned how to be generous. I learned how to give. I learned how to care. I, I learned that it isn't all about me. And, and this is what a church should be. Think, Oh man, there's, there's a thousand things that go through my mind. I'm just going to give this morning as an example. I loved walking into the Friendswood campus. I I loved it. I loved hugging people that I haven't seen in a few weeks. I loved hearing stories. I loved getting caught up. I absolutely loved it. I I loved the worship. Ace, you did a great job, man. I'm so proud of you and thankful for you. Somebody was already texting me that the worship was amazing in Houston. The worship was amazing in League City. I'm, I'm not surprised. I, I I love all of that. I, I, I love all of that. But Life Church, we can never gather together on Sunday where we don't see the end. We don't see the goal. We don't see what needs to happen. That was one of the things that was so powerful about the ministry of Jesus. That he he saw the end. He he was there on purpose. And and, and here's. The end for us. We are here to help people discover the life that God has for them. And when they walk in. We want them to see Jesus. We want them to feel the touch of Jesus in their life. We want them to know. That he is alive. And that he is real. And that he is moving. And that he is still working. And that is a sign of a church. That is following Jesus. Those disciples, I mean, Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. He he was everything. But when he passed off the work, those disciples went everywhere without fear and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it became the greatest movement in the history of the world. Christianity and it still is let's don't forget the end and let's follow Jesus anybody interested in following following Jesus we're going to love God and love others we're going to teach others we're going to reach others reach people and we're going to grow together amen today's the first Sunday of month and it's the Sunday that we take our communion together and did you know that this was another commandment of Jesus he commanded his disciples to take the Lord's Supper and as a life church we want to follow the commandment of Jesus and and this is what he said when he said take this he he said to do it in remembrance of him It just seems like a obvious statement, of course, Lord, every time we're together. No, 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 no. He's saying, I want you to remember some very specific things. When you take that bread, and if you'll peel back that top layer and take that little wafer out. He said, when you take of this bread, this is what I want you to remember. He he said, this is my body that was broken for you. This is so, as we stand here today and we have this in our hand, this is what the commandment of the Lord has called for the, for the church and for Life Church today at this moment. is to Let's remember that his body was broken for us so that we could have the freedom that we have today. Lord, thank you so much for this moment. Thank you, dear Lord, that we have the incredible opportunity to follow the commandment that you have given and to partake of this supper. This little wafer, dear Lord, is small and to the great part, tasteless. <laughs> but Lord, it symbolizes so much. And it brings to memory so Much Of what you have done for us So dear Lord As we partake of this I I pray that each of us Would remember That incredible sacrifice That you made on Calvary Let's eat this together He took the cup of wine And we have a little Cup of juice here To symbolize that moment And with this, he was wanting us to remember that it was a new covenant. That his blood started something new for us with him. That there is a relationship that we can now come in with him. And that we can have forgiveness of all of our sins. And can stand before him as sons and daughters. The writer of Hebrews says it like this. He made a new and living way for us to walk through into the presence of God. It's his flesh broken, his blood shed, so that now we can boldly approach the throne. Now we can walk in his presence, and he sees us as his children. So we do this in remembrance of that blood that was shed and the new covenant that he has established in our heart. And we take this together. Can you just lift your hands and let's love the Lord together. We love you, Jesus. We are thankful for all that you have done for us. We are thankful. We are thankful. We are thankful. We are thankful. Amen. Now I hope today I haven't gone too long. I do want to end by calling our prayer team to the front of each of our campuses as they come, I want you to know that if you're in any of our auditoriums today and you need prayer, you need the Lord to help you in any situation. If you want to take that step of following Christ that is mentioned here in our connect card, the surrender your life to Jesus, to renew your commitment to Jesus, to to be baptized, to join a group or to ready to start serving, check one of those and Make sure it gets back. I know the campus pastors will talk about that. But as we close, if you need prayer, then I want you to make your way to the front. I'm going to close with prayer and then turn it to the worship teams at each location. Hey, Life Church, I love you. I'm thankful for you. Let's follow Jesus. Lord, thank you so much for today. And I just ask that your will would be done, that your hand would be with us, and that, Lord, you would walk with us in every situation, God you see everyone that is in every uh, every auditorium, everybody that is online. You know what their needs are, God, and I just pray that you would draw us to you and that your will would be done in our life. Those that are coming for prayer today, I pray the anointing of the Lord would fall upon them. I thank you for your goodness and your kindness towards us. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen.